Yes, welcome back in. It is another edition of the Fight Freaks Unite Recap Podcast coming off a weekend that saw an outstanding rematch for junior middleweight supremacy. The undisputed title goes to Jermel Charlo. We're ready to talk about that, all the action from that card on Showtime. The Golden Boy Show as well that saw Zerto Ramirez uh, win in the main event. Triller fight card that happened. If it happened and it was significant, that's what we do as part of of the Big Fight Weekend podcast network of shows on Fight Freaks Unite. That belongs, by the way, to Dan Rayfield, our insider, a great historian of the sport, does a fantastic job helping us on Big Fight Weekend as a content partner. Good to be back with you. And, man, we have a lot to cover here on the Recap Podcast. How are you feeling? I'll tell you what, TJ, that was a hell of a weekend of fights. The only negative was that there were so many of them all on at the same time. But I must shout out my boy Boots Ennis for mm. getting rid of his opponent so quickly. Right when he stored a knockout was just when the main event on Showtime was about to begin. So, I mean, uh, on, uh, on, uh, on, on the zone, just, just when that fight was about to start. So no conflicts there. So props to him for getting, uh, getting rid of his yeah, guy. Good, good timing on that, Boots, with a second-round knockout there. And then they had like almost 45 minutes or more before the main event happened because Brian Castaño was like stuck in traffic. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing, but it took forever for him to get there, get warmed up. They were covering that. And, and that was, you know, cross town. I'm trying to get my, my geographic stuff. So Carson, California versus Inglewood, California. They it's like, f- uh, there, it's probably, you know, in normal uh, LA traffic. And I've covered fights in both yeah. venues, or man in Carson, half an hour apart. Okay. Is that well, but close? Inglewood? So Inglewood, I've been there with the new Ram stadium and been there and been by there. It's by the airport. Right. But in Inglewood, they couldn't find gloves for the heavyweight contender Jerry Forrest for his fight for literally like an hour. So we got one delay in Carson because the guy doesn't show up on time. We got another delay in the Triller uh, show at the Forum in Inglewood because they can't find gloves for one of the fighters that will fit him over his hand wraps. So we did have some craziness is all I'm saying. <laughs> at least everything moves smoothly and on schedule for the card that was in Ontario, California, uh, with uh, the Golden Boy folks and the Zerto Ramirez a main event against Dominic Bosell. So one out of three was uh, moving along well. If they were baseball players, we'd batting 300, good 333. Point. So that'd be a good, pretty good, good average. point on that, and Zerto got the big win. So we're ready to, ready to recap all this. Quick reminder, however you found this podcast, if you're only finding it through a social media link, through Dan, through his Substack. Again, he does a fantastic job with Fight Freaks Unite in the <clears> Substack. Look it up. Um, if you're an insider subscriber and you're finding us that way, make sure you're following or subscribing because you will automatically – Get us through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you're getting podcasts. You'll get an automatic notification, a light, the ding, whatever, on the phone, on the iPad, whenever there's a new one. Just like we're coming off the weekend, Dan and I are taping this on Sunday evening. You got it Sunday evening immediately if you were following and subscribing without any promotion from a website or a social media link. That's how you get these shows. We're in the preview mode with the Big Fight Weekend preview on Fridays recap mode with fight freaks unite and then there will be special uh content coming along on the podcast feed as well that you don't need any prompting any heads up from if you are following or subscribing and we should just tease here i'm not going to reveal what it is dan's in communication with another big name and we may have another fight freaks unite special conversation that is coming and if they are following or subscribing on apple on google on spotify they're going to get that Whenever you get this person, whenever you land the fish, if you will, that will be out and they will get it without having to even know from a social media link. That is correct. And uh, 
we'll see how that works out. But in the okay. meantime, we have uh, some good fights to chat about right now so from the weekend. Let's let's get into that. Enough of the chit chat about the other stuff. Charlo Castaño. Wow. Oof. Sequel every bit as good, if not better than the first fight. Your thoughts watching the battle for all four belts, world titles at 154, please. Well, a couple of things. Number one, oftentimes rematches are not as good as great first fights. There's we could go through a million fights over the years where the, the, the rematch just does not live up to it. Kind of like a movie sequel sometimes isn't quite as good. But this sequel was more Empire Strikes Back to Star Wars than Greece 2 to Greece. <laughs> Uh, oh my God! Just a, <laughs> just a fantastic fight, Charlo and Castaño they just let said, it all. Can I interrupt? They said during the broadcast about sequels, and Al Bernstein immediately said Godfather Two, which many believe is better than the Godfather. So True. Bernstein was right on it on that sequel. I'll go with the Empire Strikes Back uh, uh, acknowledgement, even though Star Wars is a great movie, also. But uh, the bottom line is, uh, both Charlo and Castaño, they let that let it all hang out. They put on a great show. The first fight last summer was a fantastic battle. This fight, I believe, was even better. And fortunately for all of us that we had a definitive result, no uh, cuckoo scoring like there was the last time with a draw that most people felt like that Castaño uh, should have gotten the victory. But in the rematch, uh, Charlo left no doubt about it. It was a very close and competitive fight. But at the end of the day, two knockdowns in the 10th round and uh, you know a, a legit stoppage. And Castaño not complaining about the stoppage, giving uh, Charlo the credit for it. Uh, what can you say? He's the, the first ever undisputed champion in the in the junior middleweight division in the four belt era it's the first undisputed champion uh, you have to go all the way back to 2004 in the first fight when winky Wright upset shane mosley back when they unified the three belts uh so it's been a long time there's been some unifications in the weight class charlo is unified jason rosario unified but the point was never had there been a four belt champion in that weight class and uh he stands them on the top and the thing that's interesting tj is that over the last you know, probably four years or so thereabouts. The junior middleweight division had a lot of talent. Showtime has been behind many of these fights, Fox, some of them, but all mainly the PBC crowd. Uh, they had most of these fighters. So you have Charlo, you had Tony Harrison, you had Castaño, you had J-Rock Williams, Arislandi Lara, Jared Hurd. Uh, you had a number of these fighters, all with talent, all that were interesting to watch. But they did a series of fights between them, round robins, you know, throw Erickson Lubin in there. A lot of these guys fought all of each other over the last several years. Uh, and Showtime and, and PBC and Fox put up uh, a lot of money and, and, and put a lot of resources behind those fights. And finally, on Saturday night, we had, in my opinion, sort of like the finale of that last several years of these matchups. Uh, very exciting matchups where the titles changed hands quite a bit. I thought there's Austin Trout was in that, in that crew mm -hmm. also. Um, and, and now Charlo stands alone. And, uh, and the way he looked on Saturday, you know, he's already beaten a lot of those guys I've mentioned. He's already beaten Trout. He's already beaten Rosario. He's already now beaten Harrison and Castaño, both in rematches. And so now, you you know, he's now it's a matter of can he hold it for a while? I mean, he's got mandatories, but he seems willing to do them. He's not ready quite yet to move up to 160 where his brother resides with the WBC middleweight title. And so I think we're going to have some more good, interesting fights from Charlo going forward as good as it was last night because he's going to have a mandatory against Tim Zhu, who just won an eliminator on Showtime. He's going to have a mandatory against his WBC uh, number one challenger, which is the interim title holder, Sebastian Fandor, also a, an interesting fight. So he's got at least two really interesting matchups in the weight class before he has to think about going up. He didn't have trouble making weight. He weighed in at 152 pounds, uh, partly because there was a delay in the match because of the minor injury that forced this fight to be postponed from 
in, in late February. In you know, it was supposed to be in March, but in late February it got postponed because Castaño had the biceps injury. So Charlo, not only is he now king of the division, got all the hardware, uh, but not, not looking to go anywhere and has quality guys to fight over the next uh, you know eight months, year, year, year plus, uh, and then we'll see if he can keep it going. Great fight though, tremendous fight. For what it's worth, uh, I love the zoo matchup. That's a discussion for another time, another day, because we're in the recap mode on this one. But you're right. There's so much to look forward to. And and when you were rattling off all those names, he's knocked all those guys out. Harrison in the rematch, Jason Rosario before, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I believed in him being able to get the knockout. You and I were on opposite sides of the aisle. You thought Castaño might be able to win this and would win this by decision. Why did Charlo eventually get to him? tactically and otherwise there were some great middle rounds a fifth round phenomenal round got to be a candidate for maybe round of the year or yeah, at least in the sure. discussion how did charlo eventually get the ko dan i think it was just a matter of just continually letting the hands go boxing enough to to not get stupid about things to keep castaño off balance a little bit uh but you know you keep pounding away and it's not like charlo has the greatest defense and eventually you know, somebody's going to land the big shot. Now, when he landed the big uh, uh, hook that knocked Castagna down for the first time, it was a really, really short left hook. I mean, it was like, you know, four inches. I mean, it was, it barely, it didn't even look like a big punch when you watch the replay. The difference though, is that Castagna just never saw it. And I mean, I've talked to a million fighters and every single one of them to a man will tell you they would rather get hit a hundred percent full blast with a shot they see coming then get hit with 20% of something they don't see coming because it's the one you don't see that does the damage. And I believe that Castaño uh, did not see that punch clearly, and that's what really did the damage. And then once he was down, um, you know, it's like Charlo said in his post-fight interview, he said he thought he was going to get up, but he knew the fight was over, and it was just a few more shots, and uh, he was down again, and, uh, and the referee stopped the fight appropriately. And you know it was appropriate because uh, Castaño did not complain. Nobody on his team complained. He was done. It was a great fight. He gave everything he had. All credit to Castaño, tough as nails. Um, had had some big moments in that fight also, but at the end, Charlo, uh, the class showed, and you know, congratulations to him. He's uh, he, you know, he had the one hiccup with the loss to Tony Harrison in the decision, which, by the way, a lot of people like they thought Castagna won the first fight, even though they called it a draw. There was a ton of people that thought that Charlo deserved to win the fight against Tony Harrison. So whatever you thought, though, you know that the rematch was postponed. He fought one other time, and when he finally got Harrison again, what happened? TJ knocked him out. Yeah, so took care of him. Don't mess with Charlotte rematches. He's now 2-0 and in rematches with two knockouts. And that was uh, impressive. And again, the, the referee allowed it to go on, and, and Castano took another wicked kind of left hook uppercut uh, there uh, in that. But it was a, it was a no, leave-no-doubt situation. You didn't want to you know have any linger about questionable stoppage in an undisputed title fight. That was it. I think it is it, interesting from the wide angles that I've seen from fans and other things with their video – when Charlo scored the second knockdown, if you haven't seen this, you probably have. He went right over to the ropes, and he is standing with his arms up while the referee is still counting. Oh, yeah. Like he knew. He knew. That's, that's it. That, uh, in that, and that did not come across on the Showtime broadcast. Not trying to downgrade them. I'm just saying they can't show everything at once. It's just people that had the wide view. He knew. He knew that was uh, the knockout, and that was an impressive. And in the end, it's going to probably be a fight of the year candidate. It'll be, you know, at least in the conversation. There's been some outstanding fights already this year. Uh, that's one of them uh, off the top of my head, Michael Conlon, Lee Woods, another one that was a great battle, but th that'll be, you know, in that conversation. And, um, you know, that was the biggest moment of Charlo's, you know, so far, excellent career, uh, you know, with, with the only blemishes avenged, you know, when you look at the bo at boxing history, 
you know, unless you've retired undefeated, which is rare, but it's happened. Marciano, obviously more recently, an Andre Ward, you know, a few years before that, a Joe Calzaghe, but it's not common. When Lennox Lewis retired with two losses and the draw against Holyfield, he avenged the draw because he beat Holyfield in the second fight, even though the first draw was complete nonsense. And the other two men that knocked him out, uh, Hasim Rockman and Oliver McCall, he avenged by knockout. Right now, Charlo has two blemishes on his record. He's got the decision to Harrison, avenged by knockout. He's got the draw to Castaño, avenged by knockout. That you know, you know, who knows what will happen further down the rest of the road of his career, but that's an uncommon kind of situation. If he keeps it up, you know, maybe he does become a guy that retires having beaten every man he's ever faced. Uh, but um, he'll be in the conversation, I believe, uh, as we as we almost to the halfway mark of the year. You know, here we are in the early May. You know, you start thinking about who is a, who's a possibility to be the fighter of the year. And you think about what has already happened through the first, you know, five and a half months. And then you look and see what else could go down in the second half that could put other fighters in contention. I believe that Charlo, with that kind of resounding victory for a historical achievement of becoming an undisputed four belt champion, only the seventh in boxing of the four belt year among the men's uh, side of the sport. And you think about the fact that if he stays and makes those defenses and you, and you beat, now, I don't think he's going to fight twice more this year, but certainly at least once more, you know, and he, let's say he does fight Tim Zhu, which I believe is next up in the rotation, perhaps Fundora. If you go in your year, and, and usually when you're the fighter of the year, there's some exceptions, but usually you're, you're a two-fight guy. If his, if, his fight, if his year is a knockout of Castagna to become undisputed, and then a victory, let's say, against a Tim Zhu, undefeated number one contender, that's enough to put you in that conversation. And obviously it's going to depend on what other fighters do. You know, the winner of a, of a Crawford Spence or something along those lines, if that fight happens, but you know, he's going to be in the conversation. Love this man's insight, Dan Rayfield, bringing the knowledge, bringing the references. And you make a great point about avenging losses and the references to Lennox Lewis with knockouts and avenging losses. I just love uh, that fight last night. When we're mm, done here, I'm going to go watch it again. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot to unpack there. And, and you're right. Castanio deserves a lot of credit. He took big punches and he hit uh, Charlo with some big punches as well. They both laid it on the line. And in the end, Charlo got the win. On the undercard, Jerron Boots Ennis, to no one's surprise, got the win and did it quickly. One big overhand right kind of on the temple and the side of the head on Custio Clayton. Boom, it's over. Your thoughts real quick on that. I thought back to our preview podcast where I said, I'll respect the Custio Clayton, but this is a wipeout, if I remember correctly. I said, I just give the guy no chance that Ennis is going to run right over him. That's exactly what happened. Um He's a special fighter in the making, and we're going to look back, you know, a few years from now and say, wow, you know, this guy, Jaron Ennis, who was such a great fighter now, you know, look at him on this undercard of this big, important fight between Charlo and Castaño. Uh, Boots Ennis, uh, you know, I picked him as the 2020 prospect of the year. He's just a tremendous talent, undefeated. Uh, they were making the point, I think Jim Gray asked him in the post-fight interview, uh, you know, have you ever, you know, he, what's his record now, 28 and no, I think, or something like that, mm -hmm. that he really hasn't ever like lost a round as a professional, basically. I mean, obviously he's not been in with the best opponents. You know, it was hard to get those guys early in his career to fight him. But even now with the last few fights where he's fighting better level opposition, like a Clayton, who was an Olympian, who was unbeaten, like a Sergei Lipinets, who was a, a un, you know, who was a junior welterweight world title holder. Uh, you know, some of these other opponents that he has faced, um, he's not losing any rounds to them either. And he's scoring spectacular knockouts. I mean, he basically knocked out Lipinets with one shot. He knocked out Clayton with one shot. These are experienced, top-level, solid professionals. One was a former world champion. One's got that great amateur pedigree, was undefeated. And he's running through them like, uh, 
there's they're not even they shouldn't even be in the ring with the guy so can i say that i think he's as dangerous as any contender right now for spencer for crawford i think that's fair i I, am more so more i'm i'm a i'm a tampa bay guy more so than keith thurman sorry i think jerron ennis is more dangerous than keith thurman seriously at this moment in their careers i would say that's absolutely correct and that's not a knock on a keith thurman or you know any of the other welterweights out there I'll put it like this. I mean, I think, you know, you, me, and every other boxing fan hopes that uh, Errol Spence and, and Terrence Crawford will find their way to each other to make a fight for later this year. And based on Errol Spence's interview uh, during the Showtime broadcast, it certainly sounded promising. Um, I know he wants to fight. You know, Terrence Crawford certainly wants to fight. It's, there's no, there's no um, uh, roadblocks to making that match, whether it's promoter, television, or anything like that. It's just going to be about, you know, what each guy's willing to accept in terms of their financial agreements. So, the point I'm making is if that fight happens, you know, I just don't see the winner of that fight fighting Ennis. He's now going to be the IBF mandatory. Now they can get an exception to that mandatory to unify because that's part of the IBF rules. But I dare say that once uh, Spence and, and, and Crawford happens, assuming it does, then the winner of that fight will have done what they need to do in their era of welterweight boxing. And they'll sure. probably look to move up. And by the way, especially, and I mean, because Spence and Charlo are training partners are good friends they're, 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 you know, they're sort of like almost brother-like. They're not going to fight each other. If Terrence Crawford should happen to win that fight against an Errol Spence, automatically a fight between Crawford and Charlo becomes a massive fight also. And, you know, if he winds up fighting Spence, I mean, I don't know how it's going to unfold completely, but I'd be willing to wager that it's not going to be just a one-fight deal he does with PBC. There will be some other contractual obligations or options or whatever, and they can make another huge fight between Crawford and, and Charlo, if Charlo, I mean, rather if, uh, if, uh, if Crawford wins against Spencer, even if it's a, just a great fight. And even if he were to lose, it, it's still not a, not a, a fight that people wouldn't want to see in my mind. So um, when Jaron Ennis gets a chance to fight for a world title, it's my belief that he's going to wind up fighting for a vacant belt. Interesting. Uh, I'll give a shout out because here on the big fight weekend podcast, we've been going along for about three plus years. Frequent guest from newyorkfights.com is Abe Gonzalez and Abe and those guys are cranking it up at newyorkfights.com. Abe was on this podcast a year ago saying, I believe before Terrence Crawford fights Errol Spence, I think that he moves up instead to fight junior middleweight and fight Charlo if Charlo's undisputed. So Abe is still sticking to his guns. I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know if Abe says that now recently off of this weekend. And, I don't think that's not going to happen. But because the reason why that won't happen for the last year, I'm just putting it out there. No, and listen, I'm, I'm not knocking Abe, but I just don't find that to be, I'm not saying it wasn't made sense at the time he said it, but at mm-hmm. this exact moment, there'd be absolutely no reason for Crawford to do that because the fan interest in the Spence sure. fight, the money in the Spence fight, the stakes in that fight for where they're going to, I mean, yes, of course, if you fought Charlo, it's undisputed, but he's going to have mandatories. You know, this is going to be an undisputed championship fight in the welterweight division. And for Terrence Crawford, you know, it's an even bigger deal, even than maybe Spence, because it's extremely rare for a boxer uh, to be an undisputed champion in multiple divisions. That's Terrence right. Crawford has already done it as a junior welterweight. So for him to be able to potentially do it as a, as a welterweight, is even a bigger deal. And if you should win and then maybe fight Charlo for a chance to do it in three divisions, that's unheard of. I mean, yeah. off the top of my head, the only male boxer to be an undisputed champion in two weight classes in the three belt time frame, And that was Evander Holyfield as a cruiserweight and as a heavyweight. And in terms of uh, four belts, Light. there's never been a man to do that. 
And in the women's side, you have, uh, I guess it's only Clarissa Shields, who's been undisputed uh, a women's, uh, uh, what, middleweight champion and undisputed junior middleweight champion. So Not it's a, it's a rare thing to do. All right. We'll see where that goes. We move right along. Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast hanging here. Golden Boy Show. Zerto Ramirez did what we thought he would do, which was get the victory over Dominic Bosell. He was heavily favored. Body shots were the big Oof. story in this one. Give me your thoughts, Dan Rayfield, watching that main event for Golden Boy. Well, when I heard that Zerto Ramirez had weight, you know, he made the weight limit of 175 pounds uh, with no problem. But on fight night, they put him on the scale. I believe he was 206 pounds. So he blew up from 175-ish to 206. What are we eating in a day and a half to put that on? Well, that's a lot of that's obviously liquids and water and stuff. But the point is, he looked so much bigger than Bosell, who looked like he should be like a middleweight compared to the way that Ramirez looked. And it was just target practice from the opening bell till he took him out of his misery with the body shot. It was an absolute beatdown, right uppercuts, right hooks, body shots. He barely got touched. And, and I'm not saying Bosell was like an A-level opponent, as we talked about in the preview, but he's not a bum. This is a guy with some experience against good opponents. He, For what it's worth, he had an interim title for a little while. He's faced some good, solid guys, particularly you know in Europe uh, and, and hung with them. But it's a different level when you're fighting a Gilbert Ramirez, who's a true world-class fighter, a former champion in the super middleweight division. And now on the hunt for big game at light heavyweight, he's still undefeated, uh, dangerous, tall Southpaw, obviously he had the great size, the punching power. He's become a more exciting fighter in recent years. You know, for a long time when he was fighting as a super middleweight, you'd watch him fight and he'd be like, I never seen such a boring Mexican boxer in my life. I mean, you know, he just didn't fit the profile of the, of the, you know, the, the typical Mexican fighter that likes to come forward and make a, a top notch fight. I believe since he's gone up to 175 pounds, the additional weight has helped him find a more spring in his step. And he's, you know, he's much more uh, forward moving and much more willing to let the hands go and make it into something interesting. Uh, but he looked absolutely sensational. He just, you know, you know, to me, if you can't get the big fight, the next best thing is stay active. And it doesn't matter if you're staying active against top guys or scrubs, or whatever, but stay in front of the public, stay in front of the press, keep your name out there. That's exactly what he did. He looked fantastic. It was an official eliminator. He's now uh, still the mandatory challenger for Dimitri Bivol, a guy he's been calling out for a year. And we'll see what happens, whether Bivol uh, takes the fight if he doesn't uh, get the rematch with Canelo. But the bottom line is, whether it's against Bivol or eventually for a vacant title, uh, Zerto Ramirez is going to get another opportunity to fight for a, a world title, this time in the light heavyweight division. And I wouldn't be surprised if he won. All right, we got about nine minutes, so we'll move along quick. Here we go. All right, now on the undercard, William Zapeta, who you also talked about in the preview mode on the Big Fight Weekend preview podcast. That was a war in his 10-round uh-huh. non-title fight. Quick thoughts on that, Dan Rayfield. I mean, William Zapeta and, and Rene Alvarado, going into the fight, I think anybody that had followed these guys figured this is going to be a barn burner. And Zapeta probably going to overpower him eventually, but uh, it's going to be a good fight. And that's pretty much what happened. He didn't overpower him to the point where he knocked Rene Alvarado out. But they put on a 10-round absolute slugfest. If anybody missed it, I would strongly uh, urge them to go on the zone and find the replay. Uh, just an absolutely tremendous action-packed fight. Um, these guys gave everything they had. Zapata, younger, a little quicker, a little more powerful, a little fresher, uh, a little more spring in his step. Just didn't, you know, he got the job done. He won the decision. And he's going to be a tough out for anybody because he took a good shot. He delivers a hard shot. And, uh, you know, he keeps it going. He's still undefeated, a dangerous southpaw. And, uh, you know, he, I've said this before the fight, uh, TJ, he's kind of like the dark horse, kind of like the boogeyman of all those talented lightweights. Um, no one's going to call his name out. He's going to probably get one of these opportunities. He's going to have to do it as a mandatory. 
but um, really, really outstanding matchup. And, uh, you know, I just, just a joy to watch. I mean, that was the best fight on that card. Uh, Zerto put on a great performance, but it wasn't the most competitive fight, obviously. But this was a competitive fight, you know. And I have to say this also. Rene Alvarado gave such a great effort, such a great account of himself. That I know he's got double-digit losses. He's got like 11, 12 losses now. Never takes a backward step. Never does anything but give his best. I would hope that Golden Boy sees the, the merit of what he can do in terms of entertainment value and gives him another fight, you know, of, of consequence. Or even maybe like stepping back just to, you know, get him back in the win and and then do that, but he can still be in some very exciting fights also. But Zapata, keep an eye out on him in the lightweight division. No doubt. A few minutes left. Fight Freaks Unite podcast. Stay in Southern California. We already made reference to the card from Triller. Uh, main event goes to Sergey Kovalev. We came in. You came in writing about what does he have left in the tank after a two-year layoff now fighting as a cruiserweight. Quick thoughts. He got the decision win over Turvel Pulev, uh, the younger brother of Kubrat Pulev. Quick thoughts on that? I thought that for what Kovalev had, in, you know, he, he, Turvel Pulev is not a, a, a like a, a bad fighter. He was a, a bronze medal winner in the 2012 Olympics, deep amateur background. Obviously, he comes from a good boxing family. His brother fought for the heavyweight title twice. Um, he gave a good account of himself. But Kovalev, I felt like he was a little different than we've seen him. I mean, the Kovalev we know and watch for many years terrorizing the light heavyweight division was a guy that had some boxing skills, but he just wanted to go in there, rip your head off, and knock you out. Uh, now that he's at a bigger weight, coming off a long layoff, two and a half years, hadn't fought since the knockout loss to Canelo. Obviously, he had a fight canceled because of a, a positive drug test and some legal issues and this and that. But once he got in the ring, you know, he he seemed like a more refined fighter. He relied heavily on the jab. That was the preaching of uh, Buddy McGirt's trainer constantly between rounds. Stay on the jab, stay on the jab. You know, he, he just did a very good job of uh, boxing, but making it interesting through a lot of combinations. Um, it was good to see him get back on the horse, get back in there with a, with a solid opponent. He automatically becomes the biggest name in the cruiserweight division. If not, you know, he's, I don't know, you can't rank him the number one cruiserweight, but in terms of name recognition, he's got the number one name out there, given all of his background as a light heavyweight champion. And, uh, you know, hopefully main events and maybe with Triller and uh, whatever relationship they have can keep him a little more busy. And uh, he'll, he'll be in position uh, at some point, you would think, to fight for a title and, uh, and make another big fight. But uh, having Sergey Kovalev back in action, making a, a, a nice solid fight like that is not a bad thing for boxing. Crowd seemed into it. They put on a pretty good show. All right. We do know that from the rest of the Triller fight card that on the undercard, we made mention Kubrat Pulev won over Jerry Forrest. He won convincingly. Uh, Evan Holyfield, one of the sons of Evander Holyfield, who had been 9-0 and as a junior middleweight, knocked out with one punch. Uh, that was a bit shocking in the second round. And Fernando Vargas's sons were all on the undercard. Anything else noteworthy from the Triller card just in closing here? Well, I just felt like Evan Holyfield, uh, you know, we didn't really know what he could do. He had looked pretty good, but not fighting top opponents. He wasn't fighting a top opponent in that fight on the Triller card. And, uh, you know, not that I'm happy he got knocked out, but obviously, you know, it takes a lot more than just a great last name to become something in boxing. He certainly showed he doesn't have his old man's chin because Evander had one of the greatest uh, warrior chins in the history of boxing. Um, I don't know what's going to become of Evan now, uh, but that was a harsh loss. And, and the Vargas boys, uh, you know, we're all early. One of them turned pro and the others are, you know, still just a few fights in their in their pro career uh, with their father, uh, you know, there in, in the house. Um, they all took care of their business. I mean, they weren't mashed up top, top guys, but a um, couple of knockouts, one with a with a clear decision in a four rounder. Um, you know, I love watching Fernando as a fighter when he was in his prime. I covered a lot of his fights and if his, if his sons can, you know, have half the kind of exciting and interesting career that their father had, then we now have three of them to watch instead of just one. So 
I have to say, all in all, it was a good night. The, the, the Showtime card was excellent. The main event, of course, was fantastic. The Golden Boy fight, the Zapata fight was outstanding. A great performance from uh, Zerto in the main event. And, and similarly in the Triller card, which ended up finishing much later. I watched that on delay. You know, you had the good prospects in action, uh, the big upset with Holyfield. Um, Kubrat Pulov, you know, staying in the mix with a, with a convincing win over Jerry Forrest. And then Kovalev back in, uh, in action in the cruiserweight division, trying to make a go there. It was a hell of a night for boxing. No doubt. We'll give a shout out. Jermaine McDonald is the fighter that knocked yes. out Evan Holyfield. Good, good to he, give him his props. And he's an electrician Monday through Friday, full-time job. And did he create a power outage for Evan Holyfield? <laughs> I'm just busting out some lines here, trying them out on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. Uh, quickly, 60 seconds or less, Tony Yoka, the French oh, yeah. uh, unbeaten heavyweight Olympic gold medalist, beaten, as I like to say the Southern phrase, pillar to post. He was beaten that entire fight. What was that clueless judge in France? They're corrupt everywhere. The United <laughs> States, UK, France, a judge gave a 95-95 draw or 94-94 draw in that fight. Mar Martin Bacoli, the, do they, the do, they, do they count differently in French? I don't know, but Martin Bacoli beat him eight or nine of the 10 rounds. He, also, he, he dominated also him. Two, what about it real quick? Give me 60 seconds. He, Bacoli also scored two knockdowns, yes. which makes it, which makes those scores even more implausible. I mean, yes. I'm glad that they, that they got the right guy. Obviously look, Bacoli going into the fight was not a bum by any stretch. Right. In my estimation, he was Tony Yoka's best opponent so far in his pro career. And Yoka, frankly, has been a disappointment. He was inactive. He had issues where he took a suspension because he missed a drug test. Not that he, he didn't have a failed test, but when you miss a certain number, it counts as a failed test and he was suspended. So he, he wasn't active. He's hadn't fought top guys uh, as popular as he may have been in France. And when he fought a real guy, uh, maybe not a top contender, but Bacoli yeah. a real guy and a big, strong guy. You know, you know, got his ass kicked. How about and the then I saw him on social media today, TJ, complaining about the decision that he won the fight. Get the heck out of here, dude. You lost I the agree. fight. I agree. He got his nose broken. It looked like in the third round. It bled the rest of the fight. And Middle by the way, there's the nothing. There's no shame in losing the fight. Right. If, if Tony Yoka, he lost the fight. Take a little break. Take the loss. You know, take regroup. The, come in back. The middle of the fight, like the sixth round, Bacoli is hitting Yoka and looking over at Yoka's corner with his arms out. Like, are you going to stop this? Exactly. I'm just going to keep beating on your guy. It reminded me of when uh, I was at the Manny Pacquiao-Antonio Margarito fight. And Antonio Margarito is getting, as you said, beaten pillar to post. Pacquiao is just laying a down-home ass-whooping on him. And he's looking at the referee like, come on, man. I don't want to kill right. this guy. Right. And uh, they didn't stop the fight. And, and Pacquiao, in my estimation, I think if you ask anybody that watched or was there, literally took his foot off the gas and backed off and basically let Margarito survive to the final bell. So we didn't actually end his life or cause him, mm. you know, uh, this crippling injury, even though he messed up his eye for the rest of his career. And Bacoli was dishing out that kind of beating to Yoka where they easily could have stopped that fight for Yoka or anybody on his team to say he won. Oh, that is fantasy joke. land, you know, joke. take your loss, get back in the gym, you know, put yourself back together. You're the super heavyweight gold medalist. There's no reason why you can't get back on the horse, but uh, give Martin Bacoli his credit for a very big win. All right. I think that's a full show on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. Dan Rayfield, always love the insight. We'll be coming back later in the week with a big fight weekend preview. And we may, we may have a special segment. Again, be subscribed to be following us on all the podcast platforms for Fight Freaks Unite. Another great recap off of all the fights. Keep reading BigFightWeekend.com. Read Dan's Substack as well, Fight Freaks Unite. Love it as always. Thank you, sir. 
You bet, TJ. Let's have a good week, baby. We're looking forward to everything that's going to go on this week. Big Fight Weekend preview coming out Friday. For now, we're good on Fight Freaks United.